master and our teacher for this afternoon. Really? <laughs> Much better, thank you. <laughs> Just kidding, LOL, hi everyone. Good afternoon. <laughs> hey, my name is Tina, for those who don't know me, as Josh just mentioned, I'm the worship pastor here, and I'll be sharing today in the third week of our sermon series throughout the season of Lent, Postures of Humility. Isn't that beautiful? Lucy has made that. Um, throughout the season of Lent, we've been and will continue to be taking time uh, to look at how different postures of the body, and this is our physical bodies. Um, and how we can relate to God with our full selves by engaging our bodies intentionally in ways that lead to transformation in our hearts and in our minds. Um, last week you heard from Matt about the posture of bowing as a way to lift up a God as our king above us and to bend in submission and receive our identity and our instructions. This week we'll be looking together at what it means to lay now, humbly speaking, I have always felt like I was really, really good at this particular posture of worship. You know, I can sleep anywhere. I sleep in a plane, I sleep in a car. Like, I can, I can lay down, I can do this one. That is, until I got a Fitbit. I bought a Fitbit for Josh for our anniversary. In my opinion, he took far too long to open it, so I took it and used it for myself. If you don't know what a Fitbit is, it's this little watch thing that's an exercise tracker, and it uh, keeps all this data on your life, like your heart rate and your blood pressure and probably your oxygen, and I don't know what else it tracks. But I, unfortunately, do not actually exercise, so I use it to track my sleep. And apparently, according to my Fitbit, I am not as good at it as I thought. Every night, this Fitbit thing gives me a score, a number from zero to 100, uh, based on the quantity and the quality of my sleep. And regularly, I am hovering in the 60s. That's out of 100, right? That's like a solid D. Um, barely a passing grade here. And uh, when you do a really good job and sleep a lot of hours that is deep and restful and long, there's sometimes like a smiley sun and like a happy face and a little star. And when you're like me, it just says, fair. <laughs> this doesn't feel good to me. Um, and so this is unpleasing. So even when I take naps though, or sleep in sometimes that score, rarely gets anywhere close to where I want to see it. So I've been trying to do better, really have, but mostly I've been failing at that. Um, and as I reflect on why, I think the biggest culprit by far is the battle between sleep and doing things. Because apparently when I sleep, I just, I can't be awake. Like I can't hang out with people, I can't watch movies, I can't do work. Um, how does this work? And, and um, for me, most of the time, doing things that I want to do or need to do feels like a way better use of my time than going to sleep. I don't know if any of you can relate to this feeling. <laughs> um, but Fitbit knows this about me. So at around 10 p.m. every night, it'll buzz on my wrist and be like, looks like it's time to start winding down for bed. And I have a decision to make. Do I obey or do I stay awake? Usually I'm like, good advice. And then I keep doing things. 
So, um, true confessions, this week the battle between sleeping and doing things hasn't gone super well for sleeping. Um, as some of you might know, I mentioned this up here before, but my daily job is in humanitarian immigration litigation. And this, and it's just an intense field of work, and this week almost, almost took me out. In three days, I had five, no fewer than five, final asylum hearings for different people. And I was in charge of them. Uh, praise report, we won four out of the five, and one of them was postponed. So it was a great week. It was a fabulous week, but it was, it, there was some other deadlines, you know, on top of those five asylum hearings. And these are deadlines with zero wiggle room and way too high stakes, right? So one evening this week, and I won't say which one, um, at a late hour, I won't say when, I found myself in bed staring at my phone and contemplating this sermon and debating whether I should just go to sleep or spend some time maybe in preparation for giving this talk today. And, um, you know, whether I should spend some time thinking about the wash worshipful posture of lying down before I lose consciousness and another day closer. So in that moment, I decided to go online and look through all the Bible verses I could find in that, you know, moment about lying down. And a whole bunch of stuff came up. Psalm 3, verse 5. I lie down, oh, no, this is the other one. Psalm 127, too. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I kept on reading. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Psalm 116, 7. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4, verse 8. As I read all of these verses, one after the other, I almost laughed out loud. And I thought to myself, okay, God, I get the memo. I give up. I'll go to sleep. And I rolled over and I went to sleep. And it was a good decision. This week's posture the posture of laying down before God as an act of worship can seem like an odd one, I guess, as far as biblical or worshipful postures go. I mean, I get running for God or walking, clapping, even dancing, and definitely bowing, but laying down and doing nothing for God? <laughs> it seems very inefficient. Uh, isn't laying too easy a posture for this take up your cross and follow Jesus life? Why would we be talking about this at church? During Lent, no less. Apparently, this is crazy to me, recent studies show that the average adult in America will spend 36 years of their life lying in bed. Now, this isn't just sleeping. This is like lying in bed for various reasons and lounging and just being in bed. 36 years. Just let that sink in. That is wild. Um, shouldn't we be laying down less, not more? <laughs> but to clarify, to clarify, the laying down that we are talking about today is not the lazing about or lounging kind of laying, okay? It's not the Netflix binge laying. It's not the Netflix and chill laying either. Some of you know what I am talking about. 
another sermon for another day, just saying. It is something very different than the can't get out of bed pit of depression laying. Some of you know what that feels like too. And also something very different than just aiming for that 100 Fitbit score sleep that comes from a comfortable and worry-free life. No. ECV, I believe we are being invited to choose the posture of laying down in the thick of battle, in the middle of a storm. This is a worshipful posture precisely because it's a posture we get to choose in times of war and in times of chaos. So many of those Bible verses that I found earlier that talk about laying down are surrounded on either side by words about safety and deliverance. The one I read before, I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Right after it, it reads, I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We see Jesus model this exact posture in Matthew chapter 8, and the context for us seeing Jesus sleeping is interesting. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, this is a small fishing boat that has Jesus and his disciples in it, and the disciples are freaking out. But Jesus was sleeping. This is the laying to which Jesus calls us. Sleeping in a storm. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> Total turmoil. On this boat, when we are utterly convinced that we are going to drown, Jesus shows us how to lay. I believe that this posture, when practiced in trust and obedience in the presence of God, can and will transform our lives. Before we talk about this more, I would love to just pray for us and our time together, if you would join me. Holy God, we thank you for this impossibly beautiful gospel of yours. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of gathering together to be with you and hear from you and try and practice ways to be like you. So would you be here in the midst of us? I know you already are. But would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to make space for you, to show hospitality to you, and to receive something new, a word we need perhaps. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A close friend of mine, when she was sleep training her little baby boy, had this practice of telling him three things through the monitor whenever he was having trouble falling asleep in his crib. She would say these things. You are safe. You are loved. You are not alone. And it'd be every five minutes, like clockwork, if he's screaming out, screaming, freaking out, doesn't matter, don't go in there. <laughs> you just say the things. And even though this baby could not understand words yet, this practice actually works. I also think that these three things are at the heart of what it means to lay as a posture of worship. We lay down in defenselessness under God's protection. We are safe. We lay down in total uselessness 
As God's beloved, we are loved. And we lay down in the presence of our living God. We are not alone. So we're going to look at these one at a time and see what God might have to say to us today. First, you are safe. Laying down is this posture of defenselessness. One of the verses um, that I read earlier that I want to bring back to our attention was Psalm 4:8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Maybe we feel sometimes like we can lie down and sleep in peace. And maybe that's in part because we have all sorts of systems in place to guarantee our safety, right? Doors with locks, alarm systems. Maybe we've picked a home out in a safe neighborhood or there's, there's little neighborhood signs being like, we're watching you to dis dissuade criminals. Um, but the author of the psalm here isn't talking about that kind of safety. And we know this from the context, right? King David, the author of so many of these psalms, lived his life on the run, under siege, with actual enemies actually seeking to harm him in the moments that he wrote these words down. So much of the early church lived this way. So much of the church around the world still lives this way. The kind of peace this psalm is talking about doesn't come from our own ironproof defenses. This comes from knowing deep in our bones that God is our protection, even in the thick of battle and chaos. Now, maybe some of us here today feel removed from the realities of battle in our day-to-day -day lives, for sure like a war or warrior battle. Um, but if you look, I mean, I mean, and maybe some of you are living actually totally comfortable, stable, and secure lives right now. Could be. Uh, but I have a feeling that most of us, if we look a little deeper, we know what battle feels like. I had this moment this week after asylum hearing number five when I was actually sitting in my house and feeling sorry for myself because I felt so battle weary. I was feeling like I was in a war against the U.S. government officers who are enforcing our busted immigration system and also in a war against what felt to me like an impossibly stressful workload. But I had this little aha moment as I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself. It dawned on me that all of us are battling. I thought about my clients and the insane battles that each of them had to fight just to get here. And the ones they fight every day just to keep existing. The under the table work and all the bills and the kid drop off and pickups with no car and the medical appointments and the court hearings that they cannot miss. I thought about family members who have recently gotten some really scary health diagnoses and have to figure out what to do about it. I think about friends of mine who've been navigating the stress and anxiety of finding an affordable home to live in and others who are on the brink of eviction. People I know and love who have been daily staring down crippling depression or infuriating aches and pains, or a constant undercurrent of feeling not quite good enough or not quite welcome. So I'd say that the majority of us human beings are in battle, most of the time. And this is an anxiety-inducing reality to live in. It's why we rise early and go to bed late, hustling, toiling, why we pace instead of laying down, why we stay awake with thoughts racing instead of sleeping at night. It's because we're the disciples in the fishing boat sometimes, right? And if we're honest, it sometimes really does feel like we're going to drown. 
in chaos, battle, and storms, if we're honest, vulnerability is not our go-to posture. These times are when we need our defenses up as much as possible. A raging storm or battle is no time for laying down. And this reality is often reflected in our physical bodies in these times of great anxiety. We hunch our shoulders over, curl our bodies in, clench our muscles and our jaws tight, often without even noticing it. The other day, I was like a couple weeks ago, I was feeling sick to my stomach and like, <laughs> I keep even notice, I was just walking around the house like this. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> we take these postures on in our bodies without even noticing it. But here is the truth of the matter. Our truest protection, our defense in battle is nothing other than the presence of the living God. The battle belongs to God. And it doesn't always feel like it, but God does defend us. He does long to fight our battles for us. I could literally sit here for hours telling you guys stories of how God has swept in and taken charge of battle after battle in my workplace environment. Mind-blowing, out-of-the-blue provision. I've had clients with hopeless asylum cases that end up being postponed for really unexpected and random reasons at the very last minute. And the new date that they get is right after this decision comes out that literally rescues their case. That's happened multiple times. Um, so many times I've come to the end of my abilities and when I'm left with nothing to do but fall asleep, I've woken up to find that God did a new thing and the battle is won and it's not because of me. To lay in times of battle is to entrust our battles entirely to God. I think babies understand this in ways that grown-ups don't. Babies know it's not their job to keep themselves safe. That's their parents' job. Oh, wait, is there a picture? Did I lose a picture? What's a picture? What is that? Oh, look at that baby. <laughs> um, that's why they can sleep like this. Um, <laughs> this is not a reasonable sleep posture in a dangerous world. I have so many pictures of my babies just... <laughs> um, but babies, until they learn otherwise at least, they feel totally safe in the care of their parents. And it's what allows them to be both deeply defenseless and deeply asleep. The battle belongs to God. Oh, that's that other Bible verse. Hold on one second. I can do this. The one about the Jesus. There it is. Ha ha. So just to close the loop on that Jesus story, right, the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He's better at it. He just is. Back to, back to joy. Um, so church family, I want to ask you, where are you battle weary today? Maybe where have you been um, taking on a self-protective posture just from the weight of the anxiety of the battle? Is there a way maybe God might be inviting you to release those? And what would change if you were able to truly believe that the battle belongs to God? You are safe 
and you are loved. Laying down is also a posture of uselessness. There's this incredibly famous poem in the Bible called Psalm 23, and it starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And I can't get over that second sentence. He makes me lie down. Sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know this. We have to be forced to lie down. <laughs> I myself am coming out of a painfully long lying down season. For most of 2021, I went through a vocal cord injury that left me totally unable to sing with limited ability to speak for a total of seven months. This injury came from overuse. Too much demand on the vocal cords, too much activity for too long without resting, without warming up and warming down, and the result was that I found myself with a broken voice, with a very unclear timeline for healing. I was as close to despair as I've ever been. I cried literally every day for way too long in that period. You see, singing and occasionally speaking is what I do. Uh, so when this happened, I had to step back from everything from singing on the worship team, from giving any sermons. I withdrew from pretty much every non-necessary activity for a while, from extended socializing with many people. I kept going to work, but it took everything I had. And anytime anyone asked me how I was doing, if they stuck around for long enough, I would eventually start to cry. And I think a big part of what had me so heartbroken was this deep underlying fear and feeling of being useless. Now, if you've grown up in church, perhaps you've heard a lot of language about being used by God, right? How God longs to use us. Use us to bring his kingdom to earth. He wants to use our gifts for him, and we should use our gifts to let our lights shine. Well, this was my gift. And without it, I was pretty devastated at the thought that I was now useless, to God and to my church community. What good is that? I can't do anything. But as the months went on, and the people of God were so kind to pray for me over and over and over, I started to realize something scandalous and I think profoundly true. And it's this, that God is wholly uninvested in my usefulness. He couldn't care less about what I produced for him. And it took a while to get this in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, sure, like, but, but really though, he doesn't care <laughs> about our usefulness, actually. God's investment in how useful we are to him pales in comparison to what he actually wants, which is just me. It took losing my voice for me to realize that I had become a little too wrapped up in what I could do for God, and I had forgotten this truth. He wants me, not my beautiful singing voice, not my best efforts, not my service for the church, not even my service for the oppressed, or 
for the widows and the orphans who need help. Not my legal work, not the people I could rescue. He actually had as his priority just relationship with me. To be with me and critically for me to receive his love and to know it deep down in my bones. That is the purpose of my life and the best and most powerful use of all of my days. Now this can be confusing because in America and in most places we find ourselves, everyone is very invested in our usefulness, right? Every system we're a part of cares so much about how we can produce and how we can serve and how we can maximize our potential. But we forget that our fundamental purpose in life is to be loved by God, period. And sometimes we have to be forced to lie down to get it. And sometimes when that happens, we hate it because it makes us feel useless. But God actually cares about this so much, he wrote it into our biology, right? Like, we don't have an option. We can choose not to bow. We can choose not to clap and dance and sing. We can't choose not to sleep. We need to sleep or we'll die. So it's interesting, though, because I don't think this posture of laying down is not just something that we have to be, that has to be forced upon us. Right? It's not just something we can only collapse to in total exhaustion when we've spent ourselves to the end. It's also something we can choose. We can choose to lay down in a regular rhythm. Not just at night, when we can't keep our eyes open anymore, but in the middle of the day, in the afternoon. We might need extended time to lay for a day, a weekend, for seasons and for stretches of time. And I think this, this rhythm of regular and intentional uselessness is actually written into God's design for the whole world. There's winter, right? Every year, and we all complain about it so much. Me too. But we need winter. Without winter, apparently, the land will not produce all that it needs to for the rest of the year. Plants actually need it. There's something about being dormant that allows for the growth in the other seasons. So for us, you know, winter feels totally lame, but it's also necessary. It's cozy season, as I'm trying to train my kids to talk about it. A time of more darkness and more blan blankets and less frantic activity. We need winter too. We can resist it and have it forced upon us, or we can lean into it and actually learn its lessons. And when we linger in that wintry place of laying and resting in our belovedness, we can get up in the morning and give out of a very different place. Because we can always tell the difference, right? When we're giving from our frantic energies and our need to be useful, and when we're giving from our belovedness. And so can those around us. God absolutely adores us, guys. And I am convinced that he will do whatever it takes to get God's love inside of us, even if it means we're not always maximizing our potential, even if it means purposeful uselessness, holy winters, to lay down and do nothing for a while on purpose. So, family, 
where have we maybe gotten caught up in our activity lately and forgotten to lay down? Let's think about how we can choose into rhythms of laying down and receiving God's love on purpose before we're forced. Let's ask God to restore our soul, as it says in that psalm. You are safe, you are loved, and you are not alone. Laying down as a posture in the presence of God. When we lay down and worship, we lay in the presence of the living God. Now, it is all about, this whole thing is all about the presence of God. Without God's presence, then every single thing I am telling you about laying down is empty and probably unwise and a total waste of your time to hear me talk about today. And once again, I actually think kids intuitively get this in ways that grown-ups do not. Now, caveat, I only have parenting wisdom up until toddler age, all right? But at least for toddlers, it seems like sleeping and laying down is pretty much a worthless thing to do unless mommy or daddy is right there with you. Every single night, without exception, at bedtime, Joy gives me the same speech. And it goes something like this. Sleep together. No, no. No, no. Mommy, mommy, no, no. No, no, I want to, no, no. Mommy, no, go. Sleep together! <laughs> if you refuse, you will be punished. <laughs> so, I do what she says. I curl up next to her, and we lay down, and we snuggle. It's difficult to find a picture of this, but I found one. This is me and Joy. Zoe, Zoe. I confuse her names every day. Um, but what happens is, and it's so sweet, work together, and then, then, then the kids enjoy sleeping, and they can drift, and it's this, like, belonging. But the thing is, every night, after a little while, I negotiate my departure time. And I leave, <laughs> finally set free to do other things while the child sleeps alone in her room. Pulled it off. Yes! That's how it goes. Um, but unlike me, God does not withdraw his presence. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. In the book of Zephaniah, it says, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He doesn't make us rest and then turn to some other important business or put us in the care of someone he's outsourced us to for the evening. No, our God stays with us and watches over us every single minute, singing over us, delighting in our useless and defenseless selves just for existing. God is our heavenly mommy who snuggles with us and never leaves the room while we sleep. If we can do this more, just lay in the loving gaze of our God, I think, I am convinced, we can get up to face our battles with an otherworldly peace. There's this kind of prayer that Josh introduced me to that is called soaking prayer. 
I used to make fun of it because it's literally just laying on the floor and doing nothing but soaking in God's love. <laughs> Let's see, Josh sometimes like, I'm doing some soaking prayer. I'm like, you are not doing anything. <laughs> but now I'm coming around. I think there's something to this. It takes practice to be in God's presence. It takes space and time. So who knows, maybe setting aside space to lay down on your face in your own home every week doing nothing, but just thinking about the love of God, that might do our battle-weary souls some good. Now, when babies are little, they need to be taught how to sleep through the night. People call it sleep training, right? Lots, so many, so many, too many different opinions on how exactly to do it. But at the end of the day, it's just about intentionally choosing some rhythms of going to sleep. And maybe we, grown-ups here, might need some sleep training from God. What if we let God put us to bed? Could be as simple as some small steps of intentionality and consecration around how we go to bed each night. Maybe it's choosing a particular time of night. Maybe there's a wind down with some silence and stillness and soaking prayer before drifting off. Um, maybe there's a song we listen to start to finish that reminds us of God's promises and God's love for us. Whatever the rhythm, how about we try letting God put us to bed each night this week? And what if we could be more like toddlers? and refuse to go to sleep or lay down if we're away from the presence of God? What if we were hungry for it? What if we demanded it like joy? <laughs> it's worth a try. Now we're going to spend the rest of our service together this afternoon in a time of response. You've heard the gist, right? You are safe. You are loved. You are not alone. Let's intentionally choose the posture of laying down in battle, in chaos before the Lord and see how it changes our lives. Um, and each week during Lent, this moment post-sermon has been set aside as this sort of intentional space to engage God with our physical bodies, to try on postures right here in this sanctuary that are maybe new for us. So to start us off, before we do anything, I just want us to become aware of our bodies right now. You're all in chairs, right? So even in this chair that you're in right now, try and get as comfortable as you can. Do your best. Try and feel your muscles. Where are you holding tension right now? Even right now, right? Now, in a moment, a little bit later, there will be some bean bags that may be up for grabs as we spend some time later. You are welcome to find one. There's also space literally in the back of the church and the sides. If you need to stretch out and lay, we got a good example right up here. This is good. Um, feel free to take the space that you need to do so. But let's, let's notice our breathing. Let's notice these places of tension. Let's choose to rest some of those, all right? Now the first thing I'm gonna do is I wanna sing over you a lullaby. This is a song I will sing to my babies 
all of their lives, I would sing to them as they go to sleep. And it's essentially just the words of Psalm 23, okay? And as I sing this over you, I don't want you to analyze or bust out your journals quite yet. Just receive, all right? The truth of what this is saying, the truth of what this means for you, God's beloved. God is my shepherd. I won't be wanting. I won't be wanting. He makes me rest in fields of green by quiet streams. Even when I walk through the valley, Death and dying, I will not fear for you with me. You're always with me, you shepherd staff. presence of enemies surely goodness will follow me follow me to the house of God forever oh the house of God forever Your shepherd's staff comforts me. You are my feast in the presence of enemies. And surely goodness will follow me, follow me to the house of God.